0: Currently, every one of us, obviously we have our maximum lifespan, that's the length of our life and when we die, but every one of us also has our health span, which refers to the years in our life that are disease-free. And one 2020 analysis on US population found that the average life expectancy in the US was around 73, but the disease-free life expectancy, so the health span was around like 60, 64. So there's a pretty big gap between those years. And if you look at it, then you're you're spending like around $1 one-eighth or one-ninth of your life being sick, if that makes sense. So how do you bridge that gap? How do you stay healthy for longer? That's going to just improve the quality of your life in the later years, and theoretically would also increase the maximum lifespan.
1: Collective Insights is a voyage through topics and technologies revolutionizing human well-being. Groundbreaking approaches for a better world and a better life await you. Welcome to Collective Insights.
2: Hi, I'm Dr. Dan Stickler, and before we get into today's episode, I want to talk to you about a protocol that I'm passionate about that I use in my practice. You know, everyone wants to slow down aging, but few are really doing it the right way. There's something I do recommend for my clients doing just two days a month. It's a bodily cleanse that helps get rid of old defective cells. These are sometimes called senescent cells or referred to as zombie cells, and they are shown to be related to so many symptoms of poor aging. This bodily cleanse is a supplement which contains a group of ingredients called synolytics. Senolytic ingredients help our body to flush senescent cells, helping with easier repair and rejuvenation from muscles to joints to how we feel every day. Qualia senolytic is the bodily cleanse supplement taken just two days a month for healthy aging that you have to try. Now, research on aging and longevity, including a beta study on Qualia Synolytic, shows that Synolytic supplementation can play a huge role in enhancing how we age. Now, to learn more about Synolytic research and to try Qualia Synolytic risk-free for one hundred days, go to neurohacker.com. Use the code podcast—that's P-O-D-C-A-S-T—for a a free gift with purchase. That's Qualia Synolytic for better aging at neurohacker.com.
3: Hello, this is Dr. Greg Kelly. I'm the Director of Product Development at Neurohacker Collective and your host for today's Collective Insights Podcast. And with me today, I'm thrilled to have Seem Lan, the best-selling author and speaker from Estonia. He's written and co-authored up to nine books on health optimization and biohacking, including the book, Win, Achieve Peak Athletic Performance, Optimize Recovery, and Become a Champion. Which we're going to dive into today. Seem, welcome to the show.
0: Yes, thanks for inviting me and glad to speak with you.
3: Yeah, so what I want to do is jump right into Win. So maybe start just telling us a little bit about, you know, what brought you to co-author the book, the um, person you co-authored with, and what the book's about for our audience.
0: Yeah, so my co-author, Dr. James Antonio, we had already written two books before Win. They were The Immunity Fix and The Mineral Fix, and uh, Dr. James is I guess, most known for The Salt Fix, which is his book about uh, salt and uh, hydration and kind of overcoming some myths about salt intake. And uh, he's, I guess, he's uh, just a fan of physical fitness and sports performance as well, as am I. And uh, he, uh, yeah, out of, I wasn't like, we didn't have any (laughs) plan to like write win about physical performance specifically. But he yeah came out with the idea of hey we have some we, we can write some pretty uh, unique or like a groundbreaking book in terms of optimizing physical performance and all all aspects of it not just like nutrition or the workout side but also yeah like hydration and recovery and sleep and you know many other things that we talk about in the book and then we also brought in our third co-author uh, Tristan Kennedy who. Um, is the nutritionist that uh, McGregor Conor McGregor's company McFast and uh, he also you know gave some really nice insights especially with the meal plans and um, more of like a professional uh, background for like sports performance and you know the main let's say target audience for the book was like MMA fighters or like contact sports uh, or combat sports because uh, Dr. James, I guess he was inspired mostly by that, and uh, that's what that's why we got involved with that. Christian uh, Kennedy as well, but it is also like very useful for just any other everyday athlete as well as like you know, bodybuilders, powerlifters, CrossFit, even endurance. You, everyone can like learn from that. It's just not so, we because we don't actually really teach about how to fight in the book. We don't teach about any like. Techniques about fighting or something That's that. most we were mostly about you know, how to optimize your you know, workouts, nutrition, hydration, supplementation, recovery, sleep, and you know, all other things.
3: Well, I just want to plug the book. I've read it for the audience that isn't familiar with it. It's really scientifically well done. Lots of studies are both cited, but then you know broken down in ways that are meaningful for the audience. And it has um, you know not only Um, really what I would say prescriptive um, fans or programs for, you know, peak performance for say an MMA fighter. But each chapter, if it's talking as an example about hydration, which I want to jump into, it gives, you know, multiple different approaches depending on, you know, what your goals are and where you are in your training cycle. So fantastic book, great amount of um, research. And, uh, you know, I think very much a tremendous resource for your audience see. So with that, Hydration is a huge interest of mine. I know I've seen you on X do long educational threads on it, and it's chapter two in the book. So I wanted to jump into that, maybe start just at the basics. Let's, you know, tell the audience what you mean by hydration, terms like electrolytes.
0: Yeah. So I guess, yeah, the reason why it was chapter two of the book as well is because hydration is pretty much. You know, if you're dehydrated, then you're not going to perform well and you're, you're just going to have lackluster strength, speed, power, all those things. And even like cognition is going to suffer from that. So yeah, like hydration really, really lays the groundwork for athletic performance and uh, just in everyday life as well. In a lot of ways, your body is mo- mostly made of water, actually, you know, around 45 to 75% of water, depending on your age. Uh, is made of uh, of your body is made of water and uh, with age like the the hydration status decreases which you know you could argue that that also leads to some of like performance decreases with age especially like cognitive and brain side as well so yeah like hydration really just means being adequately watered (laughs) or you know having adequate amounts of water uh, on board of your cells, on board intracellular or extracellular water and uh, just having an adequate amount of electrolytes per se that help to pretty much transport or help you to maintain a better hydration status and um, I guess the biggest misconception about hydration is that you just you know drink water that's it you just drink more water liters and liters like eight cups of water a day and that's going to like take care of hydration and that's not really the case because hydration is a lot more than just drinking water. In fact, if you just drink pure water or like pure distilled water, then you probably actually are causing more dehydration uh, rather than, than hydration because you're you know actually just uh, excreting the minerals and electrolytes through, through the urine. And if you're not replenishing them uh, through water or uh, food, then uh, you're actually like at a net negative for the electrolytes and hydration. And uh, you know, the key parts in terms of the exercise is also that when you're exercising, you, you're sweating, that's uh, important for maintaining optimal body temperature. Uh, but the uh, issue is that you know sweat isn't just water either. it's actually full of salt, like one third of uh, sweat is uh, salt. So uh, the biggest thing that you lose in your sweat and during exercise is uh, just salt. and salt is also like the main. Electrolyte uh, it's like just electrolytes are these uh, molecules uh, that control hydration and control water movement inside the body, and uh, there is multiple of them. Salt or sodium, the biggest one. There's potassium, calcium, magnesium. They all have different roles, and you you need to have like optimal amounts of them for like you know peak performance and uh, peak health essentially.
3: I want to just go back to what you mentioned about water not being enough um, just like a story from my background when I was you know first in the US Navy back in my initial career in my 20s I don't know if it was muscle and fitness but you know whatever the magazine that I was reading at the time mentioned oh you should just always put a you know glass of water on your desk and just sip through the day and so you know tomorrow that's easy enough I can do that and so for probably about the next Eight years or so, you know, I just um, what I would think of as grazed on water. I just had it, you know, routinely through the day, but my body didn't hold on to water, if that makes sense. But I would find myself having to go to the bathroom all the time. Where you know now my approach is I do water much more like meals. I have a whole bunch of it, you know, in and around a meal. I do things with electrolytes like you do, um, and you know. Don't find myself running to the bathroom all the time. So when you say water isn't enough, that one of the messages I want to, you know, um, get across to our audience is it's about what you absorb from the water you drink and what you hold on to. And the salts that you mentioned that are part of a good hydration strategy are key to both of those things.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
3: Um, and the next point I wanted to touch on because I think it's overlooked or maybe not even known, is you'll often see it definitely in the supplement world where I live. Oh, this new study and performance improved 3%. Can you give our audience a sense of the magnitude of how proper hydration would impact performance on game day?
0: Mm. Yeah. So like one of the biggest performance enhancing supplements like beta alanine or some other you know even caffeine it's not going to increase your performance any more than maybe like 16 percent at most or 15 20 percent something like that at the maximum but uh, what they find is that proper prehydration with uh, salt and water before exercise that has been shown to increase performance by up to 10 to 20 times uh, and that's you know that's more than any other supplement out there and uh, the reason for that is obviously, in It is simplistic form, it's very simple because you know like we said, electrolytes are very important for you know energy production and muscle contraction specifically for sodium. But uh, what when it comes to the actual exercise where does the 10 to 20x increase come from? it mostly comes from the uh, key reason why we hit the wall or what what hinders our performance when we are exercising. And there's many, obviously, reasons for that. It's usually thought like lactic acid and stuff like that, but lactate, but lactate is more of like a buffer for, uh, or it's actually energy sources also, it's not really the lactate, it's mostly like the accumulation of hydrogen ions, which results from energy depletion. So uh, if the ATP is depleted more than it is produced, then this buildup, buildup of hydrogen ions inside a cell cause a cellular acidosis which we'll cover maybe later but uh, the kind of one of the byproducts of that is also that you should start to punk, and uh, another manifestation of that is uh, that the body temperature begins to rise so that's why we sweat so sweating is actually a very adaptive let's say or it's a very beneficial adaptation when you are physically fit so like the more you're able to, to thermoregulate your body temperature, and you're better. The more able you're, you, like, the better able you're to you sweat, the better your performance is generally going to be as well. And uh, the limiting, like, threshold at which you hit this wall with performance, or the threshold after which your performance starts to decrease, is yeah, like, if your body temperature reaches a certain threshold, like when you enter, like, hyperthermia, your body starts to overheat, and uh, pretty much. Sodium and water or like salted water is going to help to postpone that it uh, boosts your blood volume which should like enables your body to dissipate heat much more effectively like it has a larger let's say body of uh, of, like for lack of a better word body to dissipate the heat into and uh, that pretty much postpones this uh, overheating and hyperthermia that happens during exercise and that's pretty like the easiest way to actually boost your performance is to consume some salted water before the exercise, because, you know, you wanna do it before uh, rather than, you know, of course you can do it during the exercise as well to a certain extent, but yeah, you wanna have, you wanna boost your blood volume uh, before exercise already. And there are like, you know, very, a lot of studies, even like dozens of studies showing that rehydrating with salt and water is able to, yeah, boost performance and uh, the, the let say, types of exercise varies. You know, it has been shown in endurance exercise. it has been shown in high-intensity exercise, even strength training and, uh, you know, more high-intensity, like this weightlifting style exercise as well. And it's been fun to do that.
3: And I want to just um, touch on a few points that I found interesting in your book. So one was how you went about doing it and my recollection in the book is you'd start you know 60 minutes or so before your event to to do the hydration it's not something you just chug down a minute or two before is that correct
0: yeah i mean you're going to probably get diarrhea or something if <laughs> you chug down a lot of uh, salted water immediately or even like baking soda or uh, sodium bicarbonate doing that probably leads to some gastrointestinal strength stress stress uh, for most people so yeah like one hour before a higher salt solution mixed around in around like twenty two to thirty three ounces of uh, water is is what uh, is kind of we've uh, came to the conclusion is the optimal, let's say formula. And uh, when you, they compare, you know, zero salt and somewhat of a larger like not not a very large amount but large in traditional meanings, so like one maybe like one thousand four hundred milligrams of sodium versus up to like two to four thousand milligrams of sodium in that water so 22 to 33 ounces of water, then uh, the higher salt solution always does better. So yeah like even if you take two to four thousand milligrams of salt one hour before exercise that's going to increase the performance more than uh, you know one to two thousand milligrams of sodium. So uh, yeah of course it depends on the exercise if you're going just going for yoga, but yeah, it doesn't make sense to take 4,000 milligrams of sodium But if you're going for, yeah, like You know, a half marathon or a 10k, 5k Something like that Then, uh, yeah, like a higher salt amount At least based on our research Does provide a better performance Enhancing effect than uh, Either zero salt or a smaller salt a s smaller salt amount And you can also, like, improve that hydration status Or the sodium absorption More with uh, glycine So glycine It's an amino acid that helps with sodium absorption, but it also has its own uh, effects in lowering body temperature. So it's an additional benefit for lowering the body temperature that happens during exercise. And, you know, in the book, we also talk about some other strategies that tie into the, like, overheating. So if you cool down the body even during exercise, so in some of the studies, they use this hand cooling devices like horses mittens that, have that cool down the hands and because your body regulates the heat the most through the hands and the forehead and the feet then that is one of the easiest ways to lower the body temperature very fast and uh immediately after doing that the performance increases especially when they're doing like some pull-ups or something like that pre uh like cooling down the body during exercise as well enables to enhance the performance but if you have hydrated before exercise with the salt then your body is already going to be operating at a lower body temperature during the exercise so you overheat less you maintain better body temperature during exercise and you also sweat less or you maintain better electrolyte status you lose less electrolytes through the sweat if you have hydrated properly before
3: one thing i just wanted to make sure that um I have correct from your book. You mentioned just earlier in this podcast that something like a, you know, a well-done salt solution before we'll just say endurance performance or long distance cycling would improve performance by about 20 fold. So the way I think of that, if, you know, maybe Cassine made you so you could bicycle for an extra minute, the salt solution would be an extra 20 minutes. Not that your overall performance would improve 20 fold. It's just compared to other things. It's a 20 fold. You know, more of an improvement. Yeah,
0: Yeah. in one of the studies they did look at so they were cycling at around seventy percent of the VO2 max at a like hot temperature, like thirty-two degrees Celsius, and uh, they found that uh, taking two thousand eight hundred milligrams of uh, sodium versus one hundred and seventy-four milligrams of sodium only, like that, uh, the high salt group was able to cycle twenty minutes longer than the low salt group. So yeah, like you're able to just exercise longer because your body is Cooler, it uh, has better hydration and it also is lower body temperature.
3: And the other, you know, there's a few other things you point out in the book, but ratings of perceived exhaustion. So, you, you know, when you finish, you feel, you know, not as as if you've worked as hard and all types of other physiological benefits as well. So, just a great, um, you know, pre workout, especially pre event solution. And just for the audience, I want to also point out that there's different programs mentioned, you know, for training versus, you know, for an event in the book, Win yeah. by Scene. Um, and yeah, then sure. I don't think it gets anywhere near enough attention, but you did touch on it here quickly, the role of hydration in both cognitive performance and aging. So I know, you know, I tended always to think of it because of, you know, how prominent hydration's been in my life in sporting events as, so oh, that's what, you know, that's what hydration drinks are for. And one of the messages I want to get across to our audience is especially the leading biohackers like Seam are using, you know, proper hydration for much more than that. So maybe let's just touch quickly on, um, you know, its role in cognition and, you know, what happens with aging, with hydration status.
0: Yeah. So with age, dehydration occurs. So like you lose quite a lot of hydration status with age, you know, it's the reason for that. uh, I haven't like uh, delved into that much of the reason why it happens, but probably has to do with some aspects of like gut issues So like older people tend to also have poor intestinal barrier function and they have malabsorption, just like a bit more malabsorption than someone in their teenage or 20 years of age. So it's uh, probably like a mixture of many things. And of course, all the people, they might not pay attention to nutrition that much. Uh, And, uh, you know, the dehydration certainly has a negative effect on cognitive aging and just brain function. And, you know, everyone can just test it out if they are dehydrated during a hot summer day or whatever, like after a long flight or something, you just, you do feel like a little bit of brain fog or uh, like some some of like cognitive dysfunction mild.
3: I know one of the, the things that I see routinely from some of the people I would follow on X, like yourself, as an example, so from the old Twitter, current X is, you know, people starting their day with hydration strategies. So just to, you know, for the audience, that's something to consider. It's definitely something that I implement myself.
0: Yeah, for sure. It's an easy, easy thing. And you know, after after you're waking up, you probably haven't drunk any, any water during the night, so yeah, easy way to. Hydrate your bodies, you know, maybe consume some electrolytes. It's not inherently like mandatory. If we eat food that has some electrolytes and salt on it, then uh, that covers it as well. Because, you know, probably, let's say, getting a mixture of both is probably better than just relying on only hydration drinks or electrolyte powders. So it's, you know, obviously, want to have adequate nutrition as well. But yeah, no. what but min- but mineral waters are definitely the best way to hydrate yourself and uh, absorb minerals. So you absorb up to like 30 to 40% more minerals uh, from water than uh, from food. So yeah, like some good quality mineral water, like, you know, Gerolsteiner or something like that. Uh, they are definitely like a healthy drink, like one of the best health drinks <laughs> out there for sure.
3: Let's let's um before we move on, just you know I want to wrap up the aging piece. So I know you know having worked with elderly people, having you know um, you know my mom still alive but is in her later years, and uh, you know just a common complaint that I've heard over the years is the sense of dehydration, and you know who knows all the physiological reasons. Some of it's like you know oftentimes. People are put on low sodium diets because of concerns about other things. But um, for the audience, just to be aware, it it is a I think an um, under acknowledged issue with aging is the the role of core hydration status. So, um, with that said, I wanted to jump into another chapter that I just think you guys did a bang up job on, and that was on you know um, alkalosis, basically. Um, so, let's talk a little bit about. Um, the importance of neutralizing acid for peak performance when we're exercising
0: yeah so like I mentioned a little bit a while ago the one of the key uh, reasons why we see a decrease in performance is not necessarily the lactate so like traditionally lactate is associated with the burn effect so like the lactic accumulation in the muscles is what causes the burn and uh, soreness but uh that's more of like the actual, let's say, byproduct of what is really hindering the poor performance. And uh, the real reason apparently is the buildup of these hydrogen ions that uh, happens during ATP breakdown. So when you're producing ATP and, and uh, breaking it down. So if the breakdown exceeds the ATP production, which usually is going to happen when you're doing vigorous exercise or if you've been exercising for a long time then the, like, the demand overrides the supply of ATP and that leads to the buildup of these hydrogen uh, ions. And that is what is going to inhibit uh, the performance. And uh, being able to like, buffer against that is another like, very powerful strategy for increasing uh, performance and uh, being able to like, exercise uh, longer and uh, with less discomfort and less of the side effects of uh, you know, exercise. And uh, cellular acidosis is uh, one of the, is the phenomenon that is uh, the buildup of this uh, hydrogen ions when the uh, ATP uh, breakdown exceeds DTP uh, production. And metabolic acidosis is, I guess, it's somewhat used in a different context. Somewhat, usually metabolic acidosis is actually used in like some medical conditions. The term, so like, also Warburg was the guy who got a Nobel prize for uh like <laughs> not inventing but you know uh, discovering uh the the warburg effect and uh, that's like the state of metabolic acidosis that is associated with cancer and some other medical conditions so you know technically they're the same but it, usually you see the cellular acidosis when you're just exercising uh, but the, the med- me- metabolic acidosis can uh, occur at some other times as well when you have some sort of a disease state or some other pathology going on but yeah the way to address that is somewhat different but when you're talking about a fault performance then you're like just buffering, buffering against that uh, acid, acidosis is uh, powerful for enhancing the performance. And traditionally the way it's done is just with uh, baking soda or sodium bicarbonate uh, that we mentioned already that that can be somewhat problematic it can cause some gastrointestinal distress and you actually might not be able to consume enough of the baking soda to reach the like the optimal effect and um, the kind of alternative for that is a sodium citrate which uh, is a form of sodium that has the same like alkalizing effects as uh, sodium bicarbonate but it has less of the gastrointestinal stress and you can also like you can consume it a bit uh, more in advance so the baking soda has a shorter like half-life or like it peaks in your bro- in your body around like one to three hours, whereas sodium citrate, it can peak even up to like four to five or six hours uh, later. So you can start introducing this alkalizing, let's say waters already, you know, 12 or 16 hours, even like several days before the exercise or the event to, main- to reach this optimal um, peak Alkalosis that is going to be most beneficial for uh, exercise. And uh, yeah, usually the amounts you're going to need around like 0.5 grams of sodium citrate per kilogram. So for like a 70 kilogram athlete, that's going to be 35 grams of uh, sodium citrate, which is a lot to consume in like one sitting. So that's why you want to do it already, you know, 24 hours before to slowly start uh, introducing that. But to maintain like a higher state of this you know quote-unquote alkaline state in your blood you wanna you know if you have some sort of event then you wanna be drinking like alkaline waters usually like mineral waters have more bicarbonate by default as well so you wanna start drinking like this alkaline waters even like several weeks before and uh, from a diet side also like not eating that many like quote-unquote acidic foods I like animal products generally are more acidic and you want to like balance it with more like base foods like plants and prunes, different kinds of vegetables that maintain the alkalinity a bit more. So you want to start doing that already you know a few days and weeks before an actual physical event and to start introducing the alkaline waters as well as the sodium citrate solution you know around 24 hours or 48 hours before the actual event.
3: I know For me not being a a performance athlete or you know, doing any type of competitions um i just thought one of the cool things about that chapter was you're mentioning oh it's good to start to gradually build your offering capacity over the long term and you know so you had mentioned already gerald steiner as a mineral water that you guys call out in the book but i just thought oh that's a great and simple act yeah. to implement into my life so you know thank you for that
0: yeah and this is another example of you know the difference between a performance athlete and a regular Person with just exercises and the takeaways are also somewhat different. For the athletes, we have yeah like exact formulas in the book of how much of the sodium citrate and salt and water and all those things you've to consume before the like uh, the event. And that's obviously like a competition event where you want to be performing at your peak all the time. You don't actually want to do that as a everyday training or even like if you're off season training to build your base you don't want to be taking all the salt solutions and all the things uh, every time because there are some benefits to actually training slightly dehydrated as well so it's called dehydration acclimation so if your body is used to training dehydrated then you actually perform better while being dehydrated in the event as well and uh, there are like some times of the day or some some like easier exercise sessions it's actually it might not be a big, might not be the best idea to hydrate yourself uh, very well you want to actually train like slightly dehydrated so that your body will get used to it and build this adaptation and uh, the same with like heat adaptation which we talk about in the book as well for your body to like be able to regulate this body temperature much better and to not overheat that easily than in off season and before the events is actually good to do the sauna so the sauna has been shown to increase heat adaptation and heat acclimation. So your body is able to yeah lower the body temperature during exercise and maintain this cooler temperature as well during the exercise.
3: Well, thanks. Well, another thing I really appreciated in your book is just the detail that that you and your co-authors go into on the biochemistry and physiology of things. So with that, one of the things I know I don't think gets enough attention is um, that. ATP to be active requires magnesium, which you know. I thought it was brilliant that you point that out. Um, you know, we often think of magnesium as an electrolyte, but I know whenever I think of ATP, I always think of ATP magnesium. It's that combination that does cellular work. Yes. Yeah. So with that, I wanted to just give a plug for your book, The Mineral Fix, since you mentioned it earlier, and maybe just really briefly tell your audience, you know or tell our audience who you think that book would be, you know, perfect for and uh, you know, a few of the big picture things in it.
0: Yeah, so The Mineral Fix, it's about all the essential minerals and uh, the non-essential minerals as well. And the reason we wrote that is because Dr. James was very big on or is very big on minerals. I think he's the like the leading expert on minerals in the world and uh we wrote the book to just have like the bible for minerals because there is no other book like that out there right now that just goes into detail of all the minerals what are the roles uh what are the like consequences of not getting enough of them what are the foods how much you need and uh like etc like it's very in-depth it's one of the most in-depth books that we have and uh, yeah it's certainly pretty scientific but it's also easy to understand there's a lot of bullet points there's a lot of summarizations and conclusions and pictures and so everyone pretty much uh, read it but it's certainly not like the first level of let's say uh, healthy lifestyle (laughs) so like the first level of healthy lifestyle is just you know tell me what foods to eat and whatnot Uh, the mineral fix is probably like maybe level three in terms of the detail of okay how much of these actual minerals and stuff like that do i need but it's very interesting like if you read it then you start to realize how big of a role minerals play in health and living then yeah you look at it at a different lens and you know if you do take away the knowledge in the book with you then you'll be at a massive advantage in terms of knowing how to optimize your nutrition and also like okay overcome some of the misconceptions about nutrition when it comes to uh, micronutrients.
3: Thank you. Well, I want to shift gears to something that at least I noticed recently that you had posted a link to on X and that was your YouTube video on the longevity leap. So I know that's been a a recent or maybe a longer interest than even recent of yours, but let's talk a little bit about what you mean by the longevity leap and why you at, you know, such a young, healthy age have a passion for longevity.
0: Yeah, so The Longevity Leap is the title of my next book that I'm currently working on. And uh, the main idea behind that is how do you bridge the gap between health span and maximum lifespan? So currently every one of us, obviously we have our maximum lifespan, that's the length of our life and when we die, But every one of us also has our health span, which refers to the years in our life that are disease-free. And one 2020 analysis on US population found that the average life expectancy in the US was around 73, but the disease-free life expectancy, so the health span was around like 60, 64. So there's a pretty big gap between those years. And if you look at it, then you're, you're spending like around one, one eighth or one ninth of your life being sick, if that makes sense. So how do you bridge that gap? How do you stay healthy for longer that's going to just improve the quality of your life in the later years and theoretically it would also increase the maximum lifespan so if you stay healthier for longer then you will also increase your maximum lifespan i don't think there's any anything controversial about that because you know it's like if you're healthy and you maintain better biomarkers and physical fitness and all those things then you will generally live at least a few years longer as well and when you look at the centenarians people who live over 100 years, then uh, the longevity leap is also um, exemplified exemplified in their case. So the centenarians, they generally get the same diseases as everyone else, like heart disease, cancer, and Alzheimer's, but uh, they get these diseases a few decades later than the general population. So that's the reason why they live such a long time. So they probably have like a mixture of some genetics that protect them against diseases, or some favorable lifestyle or environmental factors that also enable them to postpone these diseases. So you know, longevity and living to 100. Besides having good genetics, it comes down to uh, having a lifestyle and following a lifestyle that postpones the chronic diseases that most people get, like heart disease, diabetes, and Alzheimer's and cancer and those things. And you know how to achieve that is obviously. A lot more complex <laughs> but uh, some of the basics are just maintaining healthy body composition, exercising regularly, eating a good diet, sleeping enough, not being stressed out that much and uh, all those things and that's what I will, I'll be covering in yeah my next talk the longevity leap. The reason I got interested in it myself was uh, so I've been yeah into longevity you know, maybe yeah, for the last 10 years and the reason I got into it was that my grandfather uh, died of colorectal cancer when he was uh, 36, uh, so I never met him. He died like eight years before I was born. But uh, I guess as an adult, I just realized that it, this is not something that I want to play, <laughs> or uh, you know, make sure that I don't get the same kind of uh, premature uh, mortality uh, myself. That's that's the reason I got into it mostly.
3: But when I think I kind know of personally of longevity and you mentioned that idea of health span and lifespan, I saw something recently it looked you know at um data across the world, uh, people specifically sixty and older, and how many years on average they lived after sixty and then how many of those were healthy years. And it was in general about you know it depended on the area. but in North America, it would have been about a third of the years we live after age sixty. Would be some form of disability or assisted living. So, you know, it's, you know, I think, you know, I I know one of my goals is to do a portfolio of things similar to what you're going to mention in your book that tend to compound, especially if we start doing them early in our life. So that just like good investment financially, the investments we make in our health compound and allow us to be healthier, you know, um, health, health. Um, at an older age, just like you know, our goal might be to have financial health when we retire.
0: Yeah, for sure. You know, one a good example of that is uh, muscle mass and muscle strength. So uh, with age, you see a decline in muscle mass and muscle strength. And uh, in studies, people who have more muscle and more muscle strength have lower mortality and lower risk of other diseases like Alzheimer's and heart disease. Of course, that could be a proxy of just being healthier so that healthier people maintain more muscle and uh, the sicker people uh, generally start to lose the muscle faster as well, but you know, it's another one, even if it is like uh, the association of just being healthy, then how else how else are you going to achieve that other than lifting weights, for example? <laughs> so like uh, it's just another way to buffer against yeah, the age-related decline that happens inevitably. Like we're all going to decline with age after a certain uh, point so that you can only like slow it down and it is possible to slow it down quite a lot like uh, there are some studies where so people who have like exercised with weights and cardio all their life at the age of 80 they have the same functional capacity as a sedentary 50 year old so they're 30 years younger in terms of their fitness uh obviously the standard isn't that high like uh, being a sedentary 50 year old isn't a high standard but it's still like at the age of 80 there's a huge uh like uh difference so like the sedentary 80 year old who's never exercised they're you know they're at the end of the line almost <laughs> whereas the 80 year old who still exercises and is functionally as fit as a sedentary 50 year old then i mean they can still put their clothes on they can still climb the stairs they can still carry their suitcase they can still lift their grandchild or whatever so you know the the older you get the bigger the difference is in terms of your fitness so uh, the older you get the more it matters to be fit and the more it matters to have strength and muscle mass at when you're 20 or even 40 years old then it doesn't matter that much or you're not significantly different from your peers if you exercise uh, but if you're 80 or 90 years old, and you still exercise, then you're like a different species compared to the sedentary counterparts of your age. So, yeah, it's one of the most powerful things that you can do uh, to like, uh, yeah, postpone aging and uh, the other chronic uh, diseases. And uh, one thing I can mention as well is you know, heart disease. Usually, heart disease is considered to be. It's not even like older people's disease. Usually the average age of a heart attack is like 65. So the thing with heart disease or atherosclerosis, so there's the pack buildup in the arteries that you know, generally starts when you're young already. Like we just get the clinical manifestations when you're 50 or 60 years old, but it really starts pretty much when you're born. And even babies, when they do autopsies on babies who have died. Due to some other uh, accidents or something they, they, they find that atherosclerosis is still present there and uh, when you're young you still have some this uh, build up as well as so you can minimize atherosclerosis with you know healthy lifestyle making sure that you don't develop diabetes making sure that you don't have some other inflammatory conditions in eating like a good diet a healthy diet and not being obese then uh, that's another one of the key factors to kind of slow down uh, one of the biggest causes of death so like the heart disease is the number one killer in the world especially in uh, developed countries the western countries so if you can like minimize the risk of the number one killer then you pretty much make sure that you add at least you know 10 to 15 years to your life and you might get like alzheimer's when you're 80 which is the average age of alzheimer's diagnosis around like 79 to 82 is the average of dementia and alzheimer's so if you can skip heart disease and you know get alzheimer's then uh you still live 15 years longer for example
3: well thanks i know uh, you know a few other things i've seen you mention you know like the importance of polyphenol rich foods fiber getting enough protein um any quick comments on those types of things you know or like an overwhelming or overarching diet strategy that you yourself are following at this point
0: yeah so i think i personally what i follow is more like a mediterranean diet i think that's the best based on the research for my genetic risk and other risk factors i think it's the safest and kind of yeah best for my risk factors to follow i don't think that the diet is like as important as people think (laughs)
3: like
0: uh i think the diet is just a means to an end of course you do want to Minimize ultra processed foods. You don't want to be eating like a zero protein diet and maybe like you don't want to be eating like a fruitarian diet or something like that. Uh, you want to be like common sense with your diet. Uh, but if you have your diet like 80% perfect or 80% optimized that already pretty much gives you all the benefits that you could get from a diet. So many people maybe just micromanaging their diet to the point where it doesn't matter anymore. So if you get your diet to 80% perfect which generally means that you uh, eat whole foods, fruits, vegetables, uh, meats, fish, eggs, dairy, nuts, seeds, uh, olive oil, you know, whatever, those kind of whole foods generally, then you're already at, at uh, where you need to be with uh, diet, in my opinion. Because the many people react differently to diets. You know, what matters at the end of the day is how your body reacts to the diet that you follow and how is your blood work. Uh, Because the blood work is the really, I think the bigger, bigger risk factor or bigger determinant whether or not you're going to get a chronic disease or not. Because we all know of these stories of my grandfather smoked and drank alcohol and ate bacon every day or chocolate or something like that every day and still lived to 100. So obviously that's because of genetics a lot, (laughs) but it just goes to show that the diet isn't nearly as important as some of the other factors like staying physically active and not having too much stress and uh, sleeping enough and exercising enough uh, those kind of things obviously you do want to eat a good diet if you don't want to be gambling with your diet like you don't want to be uh, eating a diet that contradicts the research for example the or, or if you do then you might be taking a risk but you know if you have like a generally healthy diet then uh, there's there's a lot more you can gain from like focusing more on exercise or some other factors of longevity like maybe social relationships even or uh like uh, sleep for example.
3: Yeah, I think it's an important point. And I I tend to think of an 80/10 rule or you know 90 I'm sorry 80/20, 90/10, 95/5. Like most things follow that type of a a ratio where um you know for our little bit extra gain there's a lot more you have to put into it you're chasing kind of marginal benefits at that point and i think it's always a shame when someone ignores one of the you know the big picture things like you mentioned sleep exercise a good diet you know stress management because they're so busy chasing that extra five or ten percent from something they're already doing an exceptional job in so um with that i just want to um as we wrap up today thank you for being our guest today seem and just Um, Where would be good places for our audience to go to follow you and your work?
0: Yeah, my pleasure. And my website is seamlund.com And on uh, social media, I'm all seamland on all the platforms. Thank
3: you again for taking time to be with us on Collective Insights today.
0: My pleasure.
1: This podcast is for informational purposes only. The podcast is not intended as a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. You should not use the information on the podcast for diagnosing or treating a health problem or disease or prescribing any medication or other treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider before taking any medication or nutritional, herbal, or homeopathic supplement, and with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have heard on this or any other podcast. Reliance on the podcast is solely at your own risk. Information provided on the podcast does not create a doctor-patient relationship between you and any of the health professionals affiliated with our podcast. Information and statements regarding dietary supplements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration and are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to therein. If you think you have a medical problem, consult a licensed physician. This podcast is owned by Neurohacker Collective.